speaking of money, I, I love money. In our living room, we have a coffee table um, that has little insets, a glass top, that showcases a collection of bills and coins from right across the world. I've got euros, I've got pesos, I've got rubles and rand. I've got all sorts of money. I can't even show what I have in that table. Of course, even more than this collection... I love those Canadian dollar bills sitting in my bank. I mean, if I had to choose between the two, I would go for the Canadian. This money allows me to fill my gas tank, pay my dues for soccer, enjoy a nice meal at a restaurant. Money provides security, affords opportunity, and makes life a lot more comfortable. Sometimes I fantasize about having just a little more money. But while money has its benefits, it also has limitations. And I quote, this is probably the fourth time I bring it to you, but this is as much for myself as for you. Um, Research shows that greater wealth often fails to provide as much happiness as people expect. In a survey of Americans, Individuals thought their satisfaction with life would double if they made 55000 rather than 25000 They thought, you know, roughly doubling the amount of money, I'm going to be twice as happy. In fact, the data shows that people who earned 55000 were only 9% more satisfied than those making 25000 So, no, it doesn't have the same amount of return. Around the world, income has surprisingly little influence on whether people smile, laugh, or experience joy on a particular day. In the United States, once people are earning around $75,000 per year, making money has no impact at all on their day-to-day feelings of happiness. That's what research says. Once you hit a certain standard, which I think affords for certain um, necessities and maybe certain luxuries, are you going to be any happier? Well, maybe you're the oddball, but the research says no. No. Money has benefits. But money has limitations, and money also has dangers. Acquiring more can become a consuming passion. Our wealth can become an inappropriate center of focus and trust. How many of you folks have watched Dragon's Den? So a number of you. It's a, it's a TV series, uh, I guess syndicated in different countries, but um, in Canada it's run for, I think now, almost 20 years. Well, it's a show where budding entrepreneurs pitch their business ideas to a panel of venture capitalists, a panel of very successful people, um, in the hopes of raising money for their projects. Well, this one time I was, I was watching, it wasn't a regular episode. It was a special episode that actually focused on the dragons, these successful businessmen and businesswomen, talked about what they established and and the impact of their success. And this time it was talking about Brett Wilson, um, who rose to prominence brokering deals in the oil industry in Calgary. At one point, he was earning over $100,000 a month. 
And yet, as he shared, the long hours and the singular focus that were part of building his empire exacted a huge and unexpected cost. His marriage fell apart. His relationship with his children were damaged. And he eventually lost his health. Now, of all the dragons, he's known for asking others, what price are you willing to pay for success? Well, that's a question that's, I think, asked in today's lesson. In today's gospel lesson, we, we get to uh, be a fly on the wall, as it were, on a conversation between Jesus and a rich man. Now, this man seems to have it all together. He went to the right school. He fell into the right job. He's not even 30, and he's already made his millions. Everything that he touches turns to gold. Yet for all of this, he has a gnawing suspicion at the bottom of his soul that something ain't quite right. So he consults with Jesus to find out if something is missing. Now Jesus asks him if he follows the law, if he keeps the commandments. This man affirms that he's done right by others since the day of his youth. But Jesus has a keen eye and can see that something is missing. This man may have kept most of the commandments, but he missed the first one. No other gods but me. Money is the center of his devotion and his trust. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with him, and Jesus doesn't criticize him. All he does is challenge him. Go, go and sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And come, follow me. In effect, Jesus is saying to the man, you've put your faith and trust in your wealth and your accomplishments, but that effort is alienating you from God. So what was the response to that challenge? We are told that the rich man's face clouded over. This was not what he was expecting to hear. And he walked away with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and wasn't ready to let them go. Jesus then turns to his disciples and tells them, It's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom. The disciples are taken aback by this comment. Then they rightly question, I think, as each of us should question, you know, we're winners of the global lottery. We are all rich by global standards. Then who has a chance at all? Jesus replies, no chance at all. If you think you can pull it off by yourself, every chance in the world, if you let God do it. The disciples, it's kind of ironic, the disciples question who can be saved, and yet they are the living proof that by God's call and power, people can be freed from a misplaced hope and wealth and success and put their present and future in Jesus' hands. They left their families. They left their houses. They left their jobs to follow him. 
They have joined Jesus on an adventure filled with untold blessings, blessings 100-fold. And in case you were wondering, this still happens today. Twenty years ago, another Calgarian, Chris Brooks, gave up a successful medical practice and a comfortable life to treat and heal people in Malawi, one of Africa's poorest countries. After hearing a missionary speak about the plight of Malawi's millions, Brooks knew that it was time to take a leap of faith. The family home and the vintage Mustang convertible were sold, and Brooks began a new career working out of a second-hand Toyota truck. That initial four-wheeled adventure evolved into an eight-room medical clinic, which has been expanded again throughout the years. Lifeline Malawi has been embraced by Calgarians, whether they be small teams from city churches who stay for a couple weeks to build a staff house, or doctors who share their skill and compassion. Brooks says they invariably return to an affluent city with changed priorities and richer hearts. Now, I'm not saying that what you need to do is go home today, call your realtor, cash in all your assets, and head out for the mission field or maybe a monastery. God has different purposes and different callings for each of us, and some of you are called to particular acts of service right here, right where you live. The question is not whether you are willing to liquidate everything, but whether a fascination with wealth, obtaining it and holding on to it, is interfering with your love for God and your willingness to follow Jesus. That's the heart of the matter, right? That diagnosis that Jesus made in that man's life was for him. It was something that Jesus saw in him in particular. But it may be a diagnosis that's apt for some of us here. I mean, what if you are like that rich ruler? What do you do when you're holding on to riches too tightly? How do you ever loosen that grip, especially when we live in a culture that encourages it? Well, I want to engage you in a list, a little, just a little practice of imagination. Imagine with me all the gifts you have been freely given, gifts that have little to do with your own industry and effort, right? Loving parents or maybe good role models, mentors, a healthy mind or an able body, safety and security, Fresh air, clean water. What would you add to that list? I mean, I think if we had a blackboard up here, we could pretty well fill it up. Think of these gifts for a moment. How would it be different if you were missing even one of them? 
These gifts, all of them together, they serve as a sort of foundation for who we've become and what we've been able to do. For all of our subsequent achievements, for all of our industry and effort, all the wealth that we've acquired. Seen in this way, all that we have is a gift. All that we have is a gift from our generous and loving God. When you start to realize that everything is a gift, you can enjoy your blessings a little more deeply. It's a gift. Let's enjoy this meal at the restaurant and not worry about the dollars and cents. At the same time, you can hold on to those gifts a little more lightly. I mean, it's easier to share something that's been given to you, right? Come join, share my joy. This is something that's been given to me. I want you to be part of it as well. But when you start to realize that everything is a gift, you also begin to trust the giver of the gifts rather than the gifts themselves. That's, I think that's the heart of the matter, right? We put our trust in these things because we want to ensure our safety and security rather than trust in the giver who promises to always be there. Well, what if this is a diagnosis that Jesus would make in your life? You are letting wealth stand in the way of following him. Well, maybe take some time tonight. Consider all the gifts you have been given. May we start to recognize God's goodness to us. May we understand that God alone is worthy of our trust and devotion. And whether we have been given much or given a little less, may we be willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Amen.